Spotify. So I love music. Anybody else big music fan? Okay, good. Really? Ten of you. Awesome. Perfect. This, is, this whole series is going to be amazing for the rest of you, for sure. And I, I like a lot of different kinds of music. I always have. I was the weird kid in high school that would listen to, like, oldies sometimes. And sometimes I'd listen to classical, and sometimes I would just listen to a bunch of different music. One of the major things that I wanted was I wanted to be able to sing to it, because I was a singer in high school, which really just meant that I sang that made it sound like I was something special and I wasn't, I just sang. And so I wanted to be able to sing along with the music, which led me to a few dark years where I actually listened to country music. I know, I'm sorry. I was in Indiana, so I, like, it looked normal, but it felt gross. So don't worry. I have since found Jesus and I've made, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I feel Texas yelling at me right now is what I feel like. But I like different kinds of music for different things that I'm doing. So like some people love to listen to music while they're working out. Anybody love a good workout playlist? Oh, did you hear that? If I go like this? Oh, just kidding. Okay. So this is all trial and error this morning, folks. It's going to be great. So I can't listen to music while I'm working out because I think I should be done every three to five minutes when the song is over. So like I'm already and the song builds and I'm awesome and then it kind of fades out and I'm like, well, I'm done. It's only been four and a half minutes, but I'm out. Um, I listen to music though when I'm on road trips. My oldest daughter and I have this thing where we turn on um, Defying Gravity from the Broadway show Wicked. And we have to listen to it two times so we can switch parts because it's a duet. We have to both be able to sing the loud part. It's awesome. Um, I listen to mostly hip-hop and rap while I'm cleaning. Thank you, Scotty. Appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks. We'll talk about that later. But when I'm working, I have to listen to classical music. I can't listen to any music that has words or I'll start typing the lyrics instead of what I'm supposed to be doing. And I can't focus. I I have to listen to music without words. And I think I get it honest because my dad would always listen to classical music, specifically soundtracks, movie soundtracks. I have a vivid memory of being downstairs in my basement. I can smell it right now, a little musty. You going with me on this? We were downstairs in my basement, and my dad's home office was down there. And I was watching TV, and all of a sudden, at full volume, I would hear the Lion King soundtrack. In the middle of my show, I would hear, Right? All the time, he would listen to that soundtrack. And so I just, I feel like maybe I get it honest, and I just love soundtracks. I do. I don't know if you've ever thought, maybe I'd like a soundtrack in the background of my life. Music to play while the events and experiences of my life go on. My morning would totally start like this. Here comes the sun. Anybody else feel it? Here comes the sun. Wake up. Stretching. It's good all morning, right. sun. So good. So good but it actually sounds more like this. And it's, I'm just not a morning person, so my soul feels like this when the alarm goes off. 
Then eventually I usually pull it together. But if I have a soundtrack in my life, I would totally go to the gym every single day. Because this would play. Driving to the gym, ready to go. I am killing it. Jump in the shower, get in my car to go to work. Just start driving. Anybody? No? Oh, yeah, we got some Tennessee girls in here. Yeah. I love my job, so it's a happy thing to go to work. I'm see all my friends. It's all calm and good. And then I remember that we are two weeks away from Easter, which is basically the Super Bowl of churches. Our children's pastor is about to pop out a baby any minute, and we don't have enough volunteers yet. It's a little stressful. Wait, what's that? An email saying that you'll serve in the nursery every single week? carry me through the rest of the day the emotion the love i have for all of you to serve it'll take me all the way until i get into my car and get ready to head home i start thinking about how awesome and calm of an evening it's gonna be i'm gonna go kill it as a mom i'm not even doing game night if i'm trying to be mother of the year it's gonna be sweet but honestly I don't know exactly what's going to happen when I get home, but it sounds more like this. The dog is jumping on me. There's pee on the floor, and I'm not sure whose it is. The kids are bickering at me, and one of them walks up and says, Hey, Mommy, I have a whole full-scale project due on a California mission that I've never heard of before. Where's the clay? Where's the paint? Why do you always throw away the shoeboxes? And then I realized dinner didn't actually happen because there was a power surge and the crock pot went off. When the moon hits your eye, Enter my hero. Pie, that's One phone call to the market down the street and it becomes an Italian Riviera for pizza. The rest of the evening really consists of cleaning up the kitchen, cleaning up the kids, doing the laundry, and frankly, that's only when I'm being productive. It probably has something more to do with watching the kids stare at their phones for half of the night. But I, I try. I really do. Wait a minute. Who's doing sound back there? It's not that kind of sermon, Jeff Hurst. Thank you very much. It would be awesome to have a soundtrack for your life. Don't you think it would be? And I think that it's an amazing way to look, maybe not at just my life or your life or anybody's individual life, but what if there was a soundtrack for all of humanity? What if there was a soundtrack for time? Think with me. Let's be creative for just a moment. Would creation be like the surprise symphony? And then maybe the Garden of Eden is that, that springtime sonata, the one that goes do 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 And then the fall comes and it's Beethoven's fifth. Dun 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 I I think that there's some amazing ways that we could think about the timeline of history and how music could help us tell that story. But one thing I'm sure of, and one thing we're gonna talk about over these weeks as we lead up to Easter. We're going to see that no matter what the rest of the music is playing, the crescendo in this music is Jesus. The crescendo of all human history was Jesus. So over these next three weeks, we're going to talk about life, death, and resurrection, and how Jesus truly did raise the volume across all time. Because it's not just music, it's not just the notes and the lyrics that make music so impressive. 
It's not just the lyrics that have meaning. It's the dynamics. When things start to soften, a decrescendo, right? When things start to soften and get quieter, you almost feel inside of you things getting calmer. And then when you hear the music start to build that crescendo, when things build in intensity and in volume, you feel it inside of you somewhere. That's why music is so effective. And I really do believe that Jesus is the perfect example of a crescendo. But just like the background music in movies that can be so often ignored without the dynamics, people are walking around our world, and maybe even you and I are walking around completely ignoring the music of redemption. They did it in the Bible, in Jesus' life, right? God was actually walking among man. The actual God was walking on the actual earth with people. And until the last three years of his life, it's like people didn't notice. There were a couple blips on the radar. When the wise men came to worship this newborn king, King Herod got a little itchy about that. When Jesus' parents lost Jesus at the temple when he was 12 and they found him back with the teachers, Luke 2 says he was listening and asking questions. I just want to be one of those teachers. I want, to be, I want to hear the questions that Jesus had to ask. So that was maybe, maybe they noticed. And John the Baptist was sent to raise the volume. That was literally his God-given calling was to raise the volume, to prepare a way for Jesus to come ahead of Jesus' public ministry. And that all culminated when Jesus asked John to baptize him. And the heavens opened up and the spirit of God came down on Jesus like a dove. And you heard the voice of God say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. There were some blips on the radar. But whether or not the masses took notice, the entrance of Jesus, the Emmanuel, which that word actually means God with us. His presence created a swell, a crescendo in all of human history. He created a crescendo in the story of time. Jesus, 100% God and 100% man, walked among us teaching, loving, healing, doing miracles. Jesus' life was a crescendo for all of life. And I believe that Jesus' life is still to be a crescendo in our lives personally, in each and every one of us. John 14 is where we're going to start today. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have a Bible app, you can open that now. And in John 14, Jesus is nearing the end of his life, as in it's a couple days away. And he knows it. Right before this happened, right before this passage we're going to read, Jesus had just ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah. He washed the disciples' feet. He sat with them all. By the way, he washed the disciple that was going to betray him his feet as well. He actually said out loud that he was going to be betrayed and that he was going to be denied by Peter. And this passage is when Jesus was trying to comfort his disciples, knowing what was about to happen. So let's start in chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? But Jesus told him, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas asks, wait a minute. You just said we know the way to where you're going, but I don't even know where you're going. So how can we know the way if we don't even know where you're going? And Jesus responds with those famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just the way that you need. He's the truth and the life that you don't even know that you're looking for. Jesus said that he was the way, and the way in Greek is actually journey or road. It's not um, a map. Jesus doesn't hand you a map. He isn't even the map. He's the actual journey. He's the road. The way is the destination. We see that on Pinterest, right? On all the cute little signs in your house. The journey is the destination. Right, but for real, this time, the way is actually the destination. The very best part of a relationship with Jesus is a relationship with Jesus. He is the way. But some of us live our lives so focused on the next destination. How many of you love a good countdown? Countdown to your next vacation, graduation, maybe a promotion, a wedding, or a family. Planning and goals are good. They move us forward, so I'm not knocking on goals. But when it comes to how we see Jesus and how we identify with God, if we're only concerned with our destination, we have missed the point entirely. We have missed it. Jesus is more than fire insurance. Our relationship with him is more than just getting us into heaven. He is the way. Not just the way to get to the Father. A life in Christ is the whole thing. And if the best part of the promise of heaven is being in the presence of God, then Jesus' life on earth began a crescendo of that presence in our lives right now. And it's available to us right now. Thinking about it another way, not living that way would be like going to a symphony just to get out of the symphony. Now, some of you might be like, correct. (laughs) That is exactly what I do. My wife made me wear a monkey suit, and I went in, and I sat down, and I don't really care about any of this. But you're missing the whole point. Or, or maybe this. Maybe it's like a mother holding her newborn for the very first time and just dreaming about the day when they move out. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> but you're missing the whole point of it, right? The journey really is the destination. The way may be long, but it's with Jesus, so we can't miss the way. You know, Pablo Casals was considered the greatest cellist to ever live. When he was 95 years old, he was asked why he continued to practice for six hours a day. His answer was amazing. He said, I feel like I'm making progress. (laughs) Our lives with Christ... That's how we feel. Have any of you ever felt like the more you get to know Jesus, the more you realize you don't know about Jesus? You're doing it right. That's what it's like. He is the way. He is the journey. This is good. It's not just a waiting room for heaven. We will know the way in its fullness in heaven, but because of Jesus, we can experience a crescendo of God's presence in our life right now. Jesus also said that he was the truth. Now, 
one of the gifts God gave us in creation was the capability of knowing the truth. We can know what's true and what's false. That was a gift. But none of us can claim to be the truth. And I assure you that it is a little bit crazier than we read it. If you walked up, if you were listening to a teacher say, hey, I don't just tell you the truth. I am the truth. We should all be concerned. But Jesus' audacious claim was that he was the way and the truth. Now, what does that mean, though? We know he was true, right? We wouldn't be sitting here and singing his praises. But what does it mean to live out Jesus as truth? Well, I think it means um, creating a crescendo of truth in our life, having that bubble up in us and be louder. So it might look like in business when you see an easier way and a way that, frankly, is standard operating procedure for everybody else, but there is something in you and you know that it's the wrong way to go. Instead of holding that up as normal and saying, well, I think Jesus would be okay with it, we hold up Jesus and say, what, what is it that the truth says about this? As a parent, when you look around and see all of your kids' friends being able to do these things, all the parents think all of this stuff is just fine, but there's something in you that says, I don't know. Holding up the truth, creating a crescendo of truth in your life is looking at Jesus and doing the countercultural thing of parenting. Or maybe it's whenever the culture normalizes sex outside of marriage in any way. And tells us that it's a good training ground and you'll be able to test things out. And, and maybe it'll be okay if you just do it. In fact, it's kind of weird if you don't and impossible to stay pure. Creating a crescendo in truth in your life is to look at Jesus and see what he says about it. And then do the countercultural crazy thing of being radically obedient. Even when it's hard and different. Part of the crescendo of Christ is the crescendo of truth in our lives. And it is just as audacious in the face of a culture that talks of fake news, alternative facts, and frankly, the overarching idea that truth is relative. That you can have one truth, you can have another truth, and we'll all figure it out in the end. But it doesn't just work with culture. It even happens in church. The truth of Jesus' life calls us to something far greater than religion, than rote ritual and tradition. I heard a story of the devil walking along with one of his cohorts. They saw a man ahead of them pick up something shiny. His cohort said, what did that man find? And the devil replied, a piece of the truth. And concerned that the truth might mess up their plans, the cohort asked, doesn't it bother you that he just picked up part of the truth? And the devil said, no, I'll see to it that he makes a religion out of it. Because even when it comes to church, the truth of Jesus' life calls us to something far greater than just religion, just dusty ritual. It calls us into a relationship, a growing one, where we're constantly looking for more truth, which means more Jesus. We will know the truth in its fullness in heaven, but because of Jesus, we can experience a crescendo of truth in our life in the right now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. 
Quite literally, it was the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that gave us life, that first breath. Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. He literally breathed life into us. And when Jesus declares that he is the life, though, he isn't just talking about our ability to breathe or our ability for our heart to beat. The life of Christ is the life because without it, we would be eternally dead. Ephesians 2 says it this way, if you want to turn with me there. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He says it again, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The life Jesus lives allowed a crescendo in our life, in the way that we live, in the right now. Throughout human history, people have tried to create a crescendo in their lives to raise the volume with activity or relationship or success or busyness, or maybe even more. In the Bible, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they tried to raise the volume with rules, with ritual, with sacrifice. But Jesus said that won't raise the volume. The disciples even wanted Jesus to conquer Rome. When he said he came to save us all, they thought, oh, good. You're going to get rid of the people that are oppressing us. But Jesus said, no, that won't raise the volume. That's not what I'm here for. And how are we trying to raise the volume in our life? Are we trying to raise it with personal opinion, political leanings, and incorporating them into the place where Jesus is supposed to be? What about success at work, ambitions? We're trying to raise the volume so that we can, we can feel that crescendo. Or maybe, maybe we're trying to do it in the lives of our kids. So we try and raise the volume of their life with activity and success and excitement and achievement. So we can raise the volume because we know that something is wrong. We know that the volume of the world the way it is isn't good enough. So we want to create this crescendo But Jesus has to be the crescendo in our lives. It's the only message God ever sent in the flesh. In the symphony soundtrack of the world, if you think the world is in need of a dynamic shift, you are correct. You aren't wrong. If you look around and go, this isn't good. We need to do something. What you're looking for is more Jesus not more noise. God sent Jesus to the earth to raise the volume for all humanity. The only true dynamic shift in our lives and in our world is created by the ultimate crescendo of Christ in us. You know, 2007 in Washington, D.C., it was cold. And down in their metro station, a man went down and played for 45 minutes. Um, He played five different pieces of music on a violin. And approximately 2,000 people went through the station that day, walked right by them. Most of them were on their way to work. After three minutes of playing, a middle-aged man noticed that there was a musician playing, so he slowed down for a moment 
and then he hurried on. At four minutes, the violinist received his first dollar. A woman threw money in the hat and without stopping, continued to walk. At 10 minutes, a three-year-old little boy stopped, but his mom tugged him on hurriedly. He tried to stop again. You've seen it, right, where the mom's pulling and your kid's like... (laughs) In fact, it's interesting, quite a few kids stopped to look, but every parent, without exception, forced their children to move on quickly. And after 45 minutes of continuous playing, only six people out of 2,000 stopped to listen, and they only did it for a short while. About 20 gave money, but continued to walk at their hurried pace, and a man, that man that was playing collected a total of $32, and then he stopped. No one applauded when he stopped playing. The silence just took over. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a violin that was worth $3.5 million. Two days before he played in the metro station, he sold out a theater in Boston where every ticket was over $100. But he got 32 that day in the metro. I wonder if we're doing the same thing. I wonder if there isn't a crescendo happening around us and we're walking right by. A priceless, more priceless than a three and a half million dollar violin played by a world famous musician. Are we walking through life with the crescendo of Christ in the background? Are we turning it down so that we can continue on? Are the pictures and the activities and the events in front of us, are they so overwhelmingly distracting that we can't see and hear the song of redemption playing behind us? Or are we allowing it to create a crescendo in our own lives, changing the way that we treat people, make decisions, and love the world he came to save? See, we aren't noise. We're the instruments. And Jesus is trying to create a crescendo in this world. And he started it 2,000 years ago. We can become a part of that symphony. Every week, we actually take time to recognize the crescendo that happened when Jesus came to life. So if you're um, taking care of communion for us today, if you wouldn't mind heading out there for that. Every week, we take a little piece of bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us and a little cup of juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. We stop to remember the crescendo that happened in time. But we would be missing the whole point of communion if we thought that that crescendo ended at Easter. The crescendo is still building. God is still doing work in us today. So today, as we celebrate communion, as we stop and think about what Jesus did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us, Take a moment to ask him how he wants to raise the volume of your life. How he wants to grow his self in your life. That is the promise he gave us on the cross. That is what we remember today. Will you pray with me? Father God, we love you. Thank you for 
Thank you for being God incarnate here with us, for trading heaven out to come and live and create this amazing crescendo in the history of the world. But God, right now, I say thank you for creating a crescendo in my life. Thank you for affording me the opportunity to play in the symphony that you are growing. Father, right now, we, we take this time to say thank you, and we love you, and we trust you. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.